0: Welcome to The Saint Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Our vision is to bring hope, and I hope this encourages you wherever you're listening. Enjoy. Thank you, guys. Oh, this is a full room. So this is what happens when kids and adults are in the same space. Fascinating. Um, Well, if you give me a moment, let's get up this talk and I am good to go. Amazing, well, it is really great to be with you guys today and to see so many familiar faces smiling back at me. As I talk, I'm gonna need you to keep smiling. I am slightly tired, and you guys are the energy I'm going to draw from. And today, as Mark was saying, I am here to close out our Lent series that's called Character is Power. And over the past five weeks, we've been looking at how we build a character that looks and speaks of Jesus. We've taken this truth to heart that our competency will only carry us as far as our character is able to sustain us. And so we've delved into topics like resilience and self-control and humility. In fact, scribbled in one of my notebooks somewhere is a comment that Mark made in that first session, which is that you need to attend to your inner life in order to sustain what's going on in the outer one. He's quite wise, isn't he? (laughs) You can't shout out your own comment mark. (laughs) Well, we want to be open today to where the Holy Spirit wants to prune and refine us. So as I close out this series, I'm closing it on the topic of forgiveness. Just a small topic. Now, I wonder what forgiveness stirs in you. Maybe it feels easy to forgive others, but not yourself. Or perhaps like me, you've often struggled with keeping grudges. Speaking super personally, I feel like I swing between the extremes. Either I find it really easy to forgive, but I'm not acknowledging the thing in need of forgiveness, or I find it impossible, especially if the person doesn't say sorry. I can find myself able to forgive small things. Anyone else know what that's like? Like forgiving a friend for being forgetful. Forgiving teenage Naomi for the wild outfit choices she made. Even forgiving my neighbours when at 2am on a Sunday night they decide that now is the perfect time to blast one Macarena, Macarena, Macarena. Literally happened last week, I was fuming. (laughs) But I can forgive. It's when things are more serious that that's when forgiveness begins to feel really hard when we've been wronged, or when someone we love has been deeply hurt. And the more I read and prayed and thought through this topic, I feel like part of the issue around forgiveness is that we really have to clarify just what it is, but also what it isn't. Because if we misunderstand forgiveness, we can place huge burdens on ourselves to act like certain things never happened, or to just try and fast track reconciliation when it might take longer than just a moment. So as we seek to grow in forgiveness, we'll take some time to establish just what forgiveness is so that we can get into just why it matters. So as we come to approach this topic, which at times can feel tricky and loaded, why don't we pray? Would you pray with me guys? Come Holy Spirit, soften our hearts, let down our guards, help us to love like you do. Mould us to look more like Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to turn to one of the most famous teachings on forgiveness, which is found in Matthew 18, verses 21 to 35. And it'll come up on the screens, but by all means, read it along. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt and let him go. But when that servant, found, but when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a 100 silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me, I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each one of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. What a passage, right? What a challenge to be a people of forgiveness rather than keeping scores. So... What is forgiveness? But put simply, forgiveness is releasing or overlooking a wrong that's done against you. And we get this idea from the Greek word to forgive, which is a fear me. say it with me, a fear me, come on now. And the gift of this word is that it points out the dual nature of forgiveness, because it means both to pardon, but also to be released. So yes, you forgive someone else, you dismiss the wrong that they've done, but even as you do that, you are released from the anger and pain of that wound. In other words, as you forgive, you are set free. The writer Lewis Smedes puts it this way, to forgive is to set a prisoner free and discover that the prisoner was you. When we forgive, we recognize that it is a two-way action, one that benefits the very person who releases the debt that is owed to them. So, so far, so good? Yep, yeah, we get this. So if that's what forgiveness is, then what isn't it? Well, forgiveness is not the same as pretending that something never happened, nor is it forcing reconciliation with someone who doesn't want that. And when we blur these things together, it can weigh people down with a false guilt that makes forgiveness seem unattainable. You know the phrase, forgive and forget. But when we simply forget or dismiss things, we can minimize what's been done in the first place. And that doesn't help the wrongdoer to grow in love or repentance. And it doesn't help the victim who feels overlooked. Overlooked. Rather, in verses 15 to 17 of this same chapter, Jesus says, address a wrong for what it is and where you can seek reconciliation. But if someone is unrepentant or dangerous, don't give them unboundaried access to you. Don't keep giving people permission to keep causing you harm and putting you in danger. Reconciliation requires two people to put the effort in, but forgiveness only takes one. And that's what you are called to, to forgive from your heart. That's the language of this passage, to engage in a deep internal change in how you see the person, how you think about them, and whether you're even willing to pray for them. So we're called to forgive. Well, now what? Someone does something bad, so I forgive them. Well, what if they do it again? How many times am I meant to keep forgiving them? Well, we get our answer because Peter asks the question for us. You can see him almost with his fingers behind his back being like, please say less than seven, please say less than seven. And what does Jesus say? Well, Jesus says not seven times, but 70 times seven. Rather being literal, Jesus is saying, keep on forgiving. Don't let there be a ceiling on the mercy that you extend to others because there is no ceiling on the mercy that God extends to you. And so to help us and poor Peter get our heads around forgiveness, Jesus shares this parable that we heard from. One that, if I'm honest, fills me with conviction. The parallels are just like a little bit too obvious. I get what he's trying to say, but I know I struggle to live it out. And so the story is of a king trying to settle his debts. Now, a good working definition of justice is just wanting the wrong that's been done to you to be paid. So it's pretty much fair enough that he would want his debts paid. But the debt of this servant is huge. It is impossible to pay back. In our translation, it says 10,000 bags of gold, but the actual word is a talent. Think of it as like a pound or a euro. It's their currency. And a talent was worth 20 years labor. So if the passage says that the servant owed the king 10,000 talents. He's saying he owed him 200,000 hours of work. Who's paying that? (laughs) Like, how many lifetimes do you have to go through before that is ever possible? The amount is so large that to the listeners of the time, it would have sounded comical. It's like saying the servant owes a bajillion dollars. It's just not possible. And so the master has him and his family jailed. Now, that's what retribution feels like, right? Something doesn't go your way, so you take things into your own hands. You come up with your own punishment, your own move. It makes me uncomfortable. And so in desperation, this servant cries out. He asks for mercy, for patience, for the opportunity to pay the master back. And in the master's kindness, because it would be impossible to do so, he completely clears his debts. Does that sound familiar to any of you? This is a picture of how God completely wipes the slate clean, how he forgives every sin, every mistake, every wound that you've ever inflicted on someone. This is forgiveness. And this should be where the story ends, right? The guy so full of gratitude that he lives the rest of his days showing that same grace to everyone else but it's not because human experience says it is far easier to be forgiven than it is to forgive others. So with this newfound mercy and freedom, the servant heads over to someone who owes him a much, much smaller amount of money, 100 denarii to be specific, which is the equivalent of a few months wages. And what does he do? Does he politely ask for it back? He grabs the guy by the scruff of his neck. That is such an overreaction. Every time I read it, I'm like, violent much? And the picture that is drawn here is that, hey, Christians, you guys who have received all of this grace, how can you fail to offer it to others? How can you fail to forgive when you know that you have been forgiven? And so when word gets back to the master, he calls the servant wicked for being so callous and hands him over to be tortured. And the passage ends with this phrase, this is how my heavenly father will treat each one of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Now that sounds pretty heavy, right? But I promise you that even in the kindness of Jesus, it's a warning of how all-consuming unforgiveness can be how it can create this kind of inner torture within us that God really wants to break you free from. Forgiveness is ultimately a matter of the heart. It's not shouting from the rooftops about how kind you are. It's not pretending things away, but it's making the personal choice to pardon someone for the wrong that they've done and to release the grudge so that you can walk free too. And if there is one thing, one thing that I wanna leave you with, is that forgiveness is powerful. Forgiveness restores relationships. It offers hope. It sets people free. Joyce Meyer writes that forgiveness is manifested mercy. It is live in action, not love based on a feeling, but love based on a decision, an intentional choice to obey God. When the Pharisees tried to trick Jesus, they asked him, what is the most important commandment? And Jesus said, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. And when we forgive others, we are enacting that second commandment. We are loving our neighbors as ourselves because we are offering and encouraging them to grab hold of the same forgiveness that God has offered to us. We remove ourselves from being judge and jury and allow them to simply be people in need of God's grace, just like we are. And if I'm honest, this is a lesson I've often learned the hard way. Because what I've found is that unforgiveness is a form of torture, is one I really wouldn't wish on anyone. I grew up in a family that might not be so different from yours. But when things got rough, the phrase that would always come up was what happens at home stays at home. And so no one outside of my immediate family knew how tense, how fraught, how controlling things were. And when you're a child, no amount of knowing these things are wrong gives you the power to actually fix them. I knew my dad had a bit of a temper, but there wasn't much I could do with that knowledge. And so that meant that really early on, I decided to keep note of every time someone did something wrong because maybe if I did one day, I would get justice. Maybe one day someone would be held to account for the pain they'd inflicted on other people. But how many of you know that's not quite how unforgiveness works? Instead, as I began to get older, all these grudges began to take up space within my heart. And the longer that list got, the more of myself I began to disconnect with. The less patience I had to others, rather tragically, my temper began to look just like my dad's. You see, every time someone did something else wrong, it fed my anger and fed my anger and fed it a bit like that bear that Robin was speaking to us about last week until helplessness turned into frustration, and frustration turned into bitterness, and bitterness turned into anger, and anger turned into pure rage. I had such a quick fuse. In my frustration and helplessness, it would take nothing to fly off the handle. And I'd still have a quick fuse if God had not drastically intervened in my life. Because forgiveness genuinely sets people free. It's not an empty phrase, I know it because I've lived it. I know it because I see it in every Christian who accepts that they are forgiven of their past and welcomed into the new life that God is calling them to. In my life, that looked like 21-year-old Naomi, tired of pretending to have it all together, tired of feeling so angry I might just erupt at any moment, crying out in my university dorm room, that God, if you're real, Now would be a really great time to show up. I need you. And because God knows our needs before we ask for them, he met me in that room with a rush of love and relief as I had this picture of a father running towards a child, telling them, I can take it from here. And what began was this journey of encountering God's grace, I didn't really know what to do with it at first. I was like, where are the terms and conditions? What's the expiry date? When does he stop loving me without condition? But one thing that did stand out to me was that this forgiveness stuff was real. And so with a week old newfound faith, I got up the courage to call my dad. My dad, who I hadn't spoken to in three years. And the phone rang, and it rang, and it rang. And it went to voicemail. (laughs) It was so underwhelming. (laughs) But then about an hour later, he called back. And he was like, it's been a while. And I was like, it has been a while, eh? And what began was this journey of highs and lows, of attempts at reconciliation, of prayer after prayer after prayer, of forgiveness, some for him, but often many for me. How many of you know that hurt people hurt people? I wasn't innocent in the dynamic that we had. Well, that was nine years ago. And what I've found to be true is that the only thing I have the power to exercise is my choice to forgive. I cannot control others. I can't make them see the world the way I think it should be, but I can bring my hurts and my wounds to the God who has already forgiven them and already forgiven me. In his book, Forgive and Forget, Lewis Smead, who you're starting to see, I'm quite a fan of, writes, forgiving does not erase the bitter past. A healed memory is not a deleted memory. Instead, forgiving what we cannot forget creates a new way to remember as we change the memory of our past into a hope for our future. In living the reality of unforgiveness in knowing the way that it physicalized in me, in the way that it distorted my ability to trust and let others in, I cannot overstate how powerful and how integral forgiveness is. It is so important that we commit, that we choose to being a people who are slow to anger and quick to forgive. Because we see the power of forgiveness at work in the world around us. In the reconciliation villages of Rwanda, where convicted perpetrators live side by side with those who have forgiven them. We see it in the courage of concentration camp survivors like Corrie Ten Boom, who forgave the very guards that dehumanized them. Forgiveness is far more powerful than conflict or retribution can ever be because instead of inflicting more damage on a world fraught with division, it enacts healing. It draws people into God's love and it reshapes the world around us to look the way that it was always intended to be. The early church called themselves followers of the way. It sounds so noble. It's like a knight or like a, you know, you get the gist. They recognized that being a Christian wasn't about Sunday attendance or saying the right things, but an entire way of life that was founded on the example of Jesus. So they set their sights on remaking the world around them and their hearts within them to look more like the kingdom of God. And over the next 2,000 years, men and women responded to that same calling to be followers of the way. Opening up hospitals, setting up charities, sharing the gospel with each new generation. The mantle before us is the same. Will we be followers of the way? Will we walk in the fullness that comes with being living, breathing image bearers of Jesus? Ones who show this countercultural demonstration of love and service and forgiveness right here, right now. Because I want to argue that forgiveness is in our mission statement. It's embodied in the most important act of human history, the cross. Because on the cross, Jesus took our sin onto himself so that he could pay our debts. And when we look to the cross, we see a moment where Jesus pays off the debts of every person that has ever existed. We are called to extend mercy because we have encountered Mercy. And that doesn't mean that it doesn't look messy. This is a new way of being human. God calls us new creations. It's why Jesus is so patient with Peter, just like he'll be patient with you. But forgiveness is powerful. Forgiveness might just be the most supernatural gift that you have on offer. And I promise you, it will do a better job of witnessing to your faith than I could ever do preaching up here. And so today's time of response, today's ministry is just going to be really simple. We're going to stand, we're going to wait, and we're going to ask God to teach us what true forgiveness looks like, what true ethemy is, that we might release others and we might find ourselves released in turn. Amen? Amen. So would you stand with me as we wait on the Holy Spirit? Hey, thanks for listening to this week's Saint podcast. I hope you've enjoyed it. And if you want to find out more ways of connecting or if you want to support the vision of Saint, you can head over to saint.church. For now, have a great week and we'll catch up really soon.